How many chuggas are in front of Choo Choo? Like seven? Chugga 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 <laughs> chugga 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 choo choo. Wait, maybe just six? Yeah, I think. Six to eight? I think you're okay with two, maybe three, six. Chugga 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 choo choo. Oh, that no, sounds no, weird. No. Two, four, like all evens, I think you're okay, okay. with. Chugga chugga choo choo. Chugga 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 choo choo. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 11 of Mad Ship, Judgment. And we are jumping back into a point of view in the Vestrid household. We were with Althea last chapter, and now we are waiting for Althea to come back. Yes, and we're in Kefria's point of view. Kefria is, of course, very impatient at this point. She is... <laughs> thinking that, well, I think hoping that maybe Althea was even an apparition of her mother's imagination. Right. Saying last week had been so exhausting, she could have forgiven her mother for imagining the whole thing. That would be easier to forgive than her younger sister turning up and then abruptly vanishing again. It didn't help her temper that her mother seemed simply to accept Althea's outrageous behavior. So she is very impatient and very upset with Althea, of course. As I, she's usually portrayed as. Yeah, I find it really interesting that throughout Kefria's point of view, there's a lot of anger towards Althea. Not that, I mean, I guess I get why there's anger, but the way she talks about Althea and what she seems to be mad about Althea for is kind of mirrored in what her own, how her relationship is with her own daughter. I guess I should say... Ronica and Althea's relationship and the aspects that Kefria is mad about are what is mirrored in her own relationship with her daughter. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really interesting to see her be so mad at her mom being accepting of the outrageous behavior when like that's how she was being with Malta and right. continues to be and her to act like there's favoritism there in a way is really interesting to me. I think it's not something that we've gotten a ton of look at here, especially because most of the time when favoritism is being thought of, it's from Althea's point of view and she acknowledges that she got her dad's favoritism, but her mom, it favors Kefria. So to know that Kefria doesn't feel that way is really interesting and reading it through that perspective really made me think about some things of like, Hmm. Who does Ronica actually favor? I don't. I, I don't think she favors any of them. <laughs> <laughs> she equally finds them both incompetent. <laughs> yes, actually, yes, for different reasons. <laughs> but I guess I mean, Althea is allowed to do what she wants in a way, and maybe Kefria felt as though she didn't have that same freedom given to her, even though she's. She also got to do what she wanted. She just happened to want to do things that were a little bit more traditional. Right. And so, like, maybe she's not grasping that that in and of itself is part of her favor. Is that, like, 
they don't have to worry about her. But also it kind of stinks to be the sibling where your parents like, well, I didn't have to worry about parenting you. Still your kid. (laughs) Still want to be parented. (laughs) So Kefria is trying to get Ronica on her side a little bit here saying, doesn't it seem odd that a young unmarried woman of a good family should be out and about on her own at night, let alone on her first night home after she has been missing for nearly a year? No doubt that is so. It seems very Althea to me, however. I've come to accept that I can't change her. And of course, Malta chimes in saying, Mm -hmm. No such leeway is allowed to me. I am scarcely allowed to walk around Bingtown by myself by day. That's true, Ronica Vestrit replied affably. Her needles ticked rhythmically against each other as she worked. She ignored Malta's noisy exhalation of frustration. And basically they say that they dined together and retired early and it's just those three kind of waiting up. Yeah, and I think this is another good point that Malta isn't given the same consideration Althea is, but I think, again, it's a very different situation. Like, first of all, Althea is like five... Six or seven years older. Okay, yes, <laughs> seven and years 13 old. 13 to 19. So yeah. 19, yeah. Yeah, so like six years older. And she is, I don't know, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to think, I guess. Maybe I just shouldn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it, it does make sense, though, what you were kind of going into. Obviously, Malta is not given the same leeway as Althea, because Althea, one, flouted the family's orders to get that leeway. Mm-hmm. Two, had her father's favoritism that led her to that lifestyle of sailing, which is generally looked down upon for women in Bingtown right now. And so she's already outside of the societal norms. So doing Mm -hmm. something slightly outside of them again isn't seen as that big of a transgression as Malta is a young lady who is trying to be raised (laughs) into a proper young woman of Bingtown and therefore is expected to have everything exact and correct about her yeah that's that's fair and i think that's kind of where i was trying to go it it's really interesting to see like i get it from uh from malta's point of view of like that's so not fair how (laughs) come she doesn't have the same rules but also the i don't know the context is so different (laughs) that like of course she doesn't have the same rules but also who Althea is, is completely different from who you are. And so like right. things that she's getting up to are not the things that you would be getting up to. And I don't know, I guess, I don't know if that works in favor for either of them, because to be fair, Kefria is worried that Althea is getting up to things that Ronica worries Malta would get up to. So True. <laughs> so I guess, I don't know, but it is a little crappy that Kefria is, trying to insinuate that her sister i don't know just like making a point responsible enough yeah just making that point of like my sister doesn't know what she's doing she's so inappropriate and let's i don't know kind of attacking her credibility i guess kefria notes that malta is not trying to make any effort to seem occupied at all she is very morose after devad's servants have left Mm -hmm. And it has quieted down in the house after the week of festivities. 
And I found that funny because before that, she's like, anything but Devad's servants. Right. Please. <laughs> They're so bad. But ever since the last carriage had pulled away down the drive, the girl had a desolate look to her. She reminded Kefria of some sea creature stranded by a retreating tide. I'm bored, she announced. I wish the Rainwild traders were still here. They don't sit about in the evening and do quiet work. When they are at home, I am sure they do, Kefria countered firmly. No one has parties and games and music every night, Malta. You must not make that the basis for your relationship with Rain. And Malta goes into, well, when if we have a home of our own and we do get together, then we will. We'll do all sorts of parties and things all the time. I already have a plan with Dello and I and right. whatever. And Ronica's like, well... If you do get married, you're not going to be here. You're going to be in the rain wilds. And Malta blows up and says, why can't you let me have any sort of fun or imagination at all? <laughs> Which, fair. She's a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. And she... Ronica's just kind of poo-pooing on everything. Right. And Malta does say, no matter what I say, you always try to say something to make it not so. I think you just want me to be unhappy forever. The fault is not with what I say, but in the silly fancies you spin to start. <laughs> and then Kevria has to cut her off and say, Try I'm to be the peacemaker. Yeah. You know, like if you start bickering, I'm going to lose what little patience I have left while we're sitting here waiting for my wonton sister. Like, <laughs> and then, and then we see like a little bit of growth from Ronica because she says, I'm sorry. I do not wish Malta to be unhappy. I want her to wake up and see that she must choose to be happy within the framework of her life. These wild fancies and endless parties and entertainment are not. No wonder Aunt Althea ran away. Malta's cry cut off her grandmother's words. All you can see ahead of. All you can see ahead for anyone is boredom and toil. Well, my life is not going to be like that. And I think that's really important, right? Ronica is coming from a place of, yes, I'm always shutting you down because I see that you aren't thinking logically. This isn't real life. You want life to be a fantasy and that's great, but that's not how life is. And I'm not going to let you sit here and pretend it is and then be shocked when life is way worse than you thought because it can't live up to your fancies. And I think that is kindness. It's just not done in a constructive enough way to no. be kind. Also, we get the first, well, the matriarch of the family exhibiting a trait here that is echoed later on with her daughters. And I find it really funny because she's like, oh, yes, I'm sorry. I will be polite. But <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here's the list of why I'm being like this and just kind of leaning into the argument. And that shows up later between Althea and Kefria, where Kefria does the same exact thing. Yeah. And I found but that really funny because... If you look at any family, you can see traits passed on and even the kids will be like, no, I don't want to be like that when I grow up or do those things. Uh -huh. And then, of course, they do those exact things. None of us want to be like our parents, but yet somehow <laughs> <laughs> all those weird traits. <laughs> so Malta is like, yeah, no wonder Aunt Althea ran away. Well, Rain has told me so many exciting things about the Rain Wilds. When we go to visit his family, he is going to show me the ancient city of the Elder Race, where flame jewels come from, and Jidzen and other wonderful things. He's told me that there are places where you can go, and at a touch of your hand, you can light the chamber as they were, as they were of old. He says that sometimes he has even glimpsed the ghosts of the Elder Folk coming and going on their errands. Not all can do that. Only the very sensitive, but he says perhaps I have that skill. 
very sensitive folk often do. Those most gifted can sometimes hear their music echoing still. He will dress me as befits a woman of the Cooper's family. I will not have to dust furniture or polish silver or cook food. There will be servants to do that. Rain says, Mother, why are you smiling at me like that? Are you making fun of me? Malta demanded indignantly. No, it's not that at all. I was thinking that it sounds to me as if you like this young man very much. I remember all the grand plans that your father and I made for our life together. Those dreams do not always come true, but the spinning of them is very sweet. It sounds to me as if she likes the prospect of all he will bring her, Ronica corrected softly. More gently, she added, but there is nothing wrong with that either. Young people who share the same dreams often make very good partners. So yeah, Malta is going on and on about like, Rain says all of this, and when we go visit his family, it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be the center of attention and not have to do anything and live like a rich person should, and I'm also a very sensitive person, he says, and I could have that magic and that skill. <laughs> and Kefri is like, uh-huh, sounds like you like him, and Ronica's like, no. No, she likes what she can get, <laughs> which, true. Yeah. But I think that's also something that makes Malta stand out as a child, right? She believes all this stuff to be true. She like is full of that wonder and the excitement of planning your future with somebody and making it like the most exciting version it could possibly be and not understanding things like bills and chores (laughs) and household management that would have to go into this. And if they do have servants to do everything. Probably she's going to be the one in charge, making sure they do what they have to do. So she still has to do stuff. She doesn't have to do the harder of the tasks, but it's still effort. There's still things that will happen that she needs to do. But right now, because she's a child and hasn't experienced it, it just seems like this fancy thing. It's like, it makes me think of when I was young and was like, oh, I can't wait till I'm adult and I'm going to have candy for dinner every day and no <laughs> bedtime. And now I have a bedtime and don't have candy for dinner every day. But like, it's because when you grow up, you're like, oh, that's actually a really bad idea <laughs> 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 or not realistic. And I think that's something she just hasn't had. She's too young. Right. And you need a little bit of freedom. Yeah. And she also has that viewpoint that her family is purposely punishing her for some unknown reason and trying to make her life miserable. So yeah, I don't know. I just it makes me think about how how childish she is, but also how she definitely has that feeling of this is how things should have been all t- all along right. and you've kept this from me on purpose. Well, and with all of the uh all of the adults in the room going like, oh, you must like him very much. And oh, yeah, you guys would make great partners. Malta's like, oh, no, it's nothing settled just yet. Don't don't act like that. There's a lot of bad things about him, too. And talks about how it's not just his, you know, potential warts and the veil and the gloves. It's how he talks about politics all the time. One minute he is talking of parties and friends. And the next, he speaks of war with Jamalian, how he must stand firm no matter how difficult life becomes. He talks as if that would be some big adventure. Moreover, he says slavery is evil. Although I told him that Papa thinks it might be good for Bingtown and that Papa is rebuilding our fortune by selling slaves. 
He dared to say that Papa would have to change his ways and see that slavery is wrong and bad for our economy too, and trade up the Rainwild River instead. And he also talks about having family and having children all the time. And when I said we must have a house in Bingtown as well as in the Rain Wild so we can visit often and see my friends, he laughed. He says that once I see the wonders of his city, I will forget all about Bingtown, and that we will not have our own house, but only a set of rooms in the great house of the Cooper's family shares. So I am not at all certain that I will choose Rain. It sounds as if you two talked a great deal about your future together, Ronica ventured. He speaks as if it is all assured. When I tell him it is not, he smiles and asks why I love to torture him so. Are, are all men so obtuse? Every one of them that I've ever known, Ronica assured her complacently. Then, more seriously, she added, But if you have decided to deny his suit, then you must tell us so. The sooner the courtship is broken off, the least discomfort to both families. Oh, I haven't decided. Not really. It may take me a while. The room fell silent as Malta considered her prospects, and the two older women privately contemplated what her choices might mean to them. So, just as a backup reminder for anybody who forgot, Malta, when we saw from her point of view while she was talking with Rain, she is trying to wait out her father coming back because she thinks her father will be able to make the best choice. Right. And we also believe, the two of us, that she doesn't understand that she doesn't get anything if she says no to him, that she thinks she's getting stuff from this. And that like when he was promising her all these things and how um, their family's going to get a bunch of stuff from her, she wanted her father there to negotiate more things, but it didn't seem like she had a grasp that those things come with marriage and she has to marry him to get them. Right. And so hearing this and like seeing this, knowing that it's really interesting to see all the hesitation and the pausing and the, uh, no, I haven't decided or whatever. Like, because she's waiting for her dad to tell her what to do. Yep. And the most out of the deal. Yeah. Which as they've just told her, isn't the wisest thing to do because if she decides not to go with it, it could, you know, it's going to ruin relationships the longer she waits, Yep. but she's not thinking about that. And also to have her be so disinterested in politics and what's happening around her, it does, it like really fits the character of number one, that she's a child, but number two, that she's very self-centered because why does it matter what's happening in Jamalia? Like that has nothing to do with me and you can't say slavery is bad. My dad is a slaver. <laughs> so <laughs> right. like no concept of what's going on in the world or why that might be important to her. And that's fair. I mean, she's 13, maybe almost 14 years old. There's nothing of interest there. <laughs> really? Yeah, true. You know, it's Althea herself was not very interested in anything on shore, even with her father saying like, hey, yeah, you have to take an interest. Althea yeah. didn't really know until her father really died <laughs> and she started right. paying attention. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, to be fair, it's not like when I was 13, I was like right. Googling the candidates in my country to like see who's running on what platform. I was just like, ooh, who cares? <laughs> I don't <laughs> Parties know. So, and friends. Yeah. So like I get it. It's not necessarily a negative towards her at all. It's just, just a child. Yeah. She's I think it again just brings home she's a kid and hasn't really matured yet. So we jump over to Althea's point of view. And she is sitting across the table from Amber. 
She, Amber, and Jack were eating dinner and finishing it up. And Amber says, like, okay, maybe you should take a walk around, Jack. Like, let let Althea and I talk. So she heads out, and they, uh, as she's leaving, Jack's like, well, maybe you want to get some drinks out. It seems like a big talk might need some drinks. <laughs> yeah, drinking's way more fun. <laughs> Do that, which, like, respect. <laughs> <laughs> And as Jack leaves, you know, we have Amber saying, now don't leave out the stuff where you think that you were bad or where you're embarrassed. I'm not trying to judge you. I just need all of the details. And Althea says, why are you asking this of me? To herself, she wondered why she was granting this to Amber. She still knew relatively little about the woman. Why was she favoring her with a detailed account of her travels and experiences since the last time she had seen her? Ah, well, I suppose that is a fair trade, considering all I've asked you. Amber took a breath as if putting her words in order. I cannot leave Bingtown. I must do things here. But the timing of those tasks is dependent on events that are happening elsewhere. In Jamalia and the Inside Passage, for instance. So I ask you to tell me what changes you have seen in those places. That tells me nothing at all, Althea pointed out quietly. I suppose it doesn't. Let me be blunt, then. I am dedicated to bringing about certain changes. I wish to see an end to slavery, not just in Bingtown, but in all of Jamalia and Chelsea as well. I wish to see Bingtown shake off Jamalian rule, and I wish, most of all, to solve the riddle of the dragon and the serpent. She smiled significantly at Althea as she said this. She tapped first the dragon earring she wore in her left ear, and then the serpent that swung from her right. She raised an eyebrow at Althea and waited in anticipation for her response. The dragon and the serpent? Althea queried, baffled. Amber's face changed. A terrible dread washed over it, followed by a look of weariness. She leaned back in her chair. She spoke quietly. When I finally said that to you, you were supposed to leap to your feet and look startled, or perhaps shout, Aha! Or shake your head in wonderment and then explain it all to me. The last thing I ever imagined you doing was sitting there being politely puzzled. Althea shrugged. Sorry. So Amber is, we've talked about this before. She's looking for the nine-fingered slave boy, right? Mm -hmm. And she didn't find him at all. She found Althea and has latched on to Althea. And is certain, as she says soon, certain that Althea is the one because... Althea has come back to Bingtown. Amber sees her again and is just like, yes, yes. This person is the one I'm supposed to be along with, right? And Amber is going in blind, just like the fool. Right. Doesn't really know. Thinks that they know stuff. Mm -hmm. But doesn't know the pieces to the puzzle at all. Yeah. So first I wanted to say that the description of Amber seeming to piece her words together or put her words in order felt so reminiscent of the fool. It just like feels like how Fitz describes the fool whenever the fool gets ready to say something important. And then the like cryptic talking, the not answering, it's so much like the fool. And I was like really drawn to that. Like, obviously it's the same person, but just those characteristics as a rereader really standing out. But I do feel really bad. And I'm, I, because I, don't quite understand how 
the gift of prophecy works. I know that in the later books, in the final trilogy that we have at the moment with B, the fool can see the path people will take even if they're insignificant. And I, it's not clear if that's because he is just much older at that point. And so can see better. I don't like, I don't really know, but here in this, I think in this book, I specifically remember whenever we do get back to Wintro and like seeing Wintro, he and Althea look almost identical. They're very similar looking. They right. could be twins almost. They just, they have similar builds. They have similar facial facial features. It They look like each other. And so that makes me feel like in this book, Amber can see the nine-fingered slave boy. And is that that's why she's confusing Wintro with Althea. Yeah, maybe. And But then like, but wouldn't she be able then to see the whole path? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't. It it's something that we don't have a solid answer to. I know, and yeah, it's like it's a nitpicky a, thing. It's a it nebulous just, thing that Robin Hobb writes about. You know. Yeah, but no it just doesn't, solid rules. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it has any rules, and that's really frustrating. <laughs> so I don't know because here there's an argument to be made that like there is some sort of sight, like actual vision, and that's why it's like. Maybe. And Wintrow and Althea are similar personality wise, too, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess like in very abstract ways, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just it's a weird thing in this moment to see her be so downtrodden and knowing as rereaders that it's because it's Wintrow that makes the changes and Wintrow would know about the serpent. And I, mean, I think they're both. Dragon potential people are like catalysts, right? They're both people that make decisions that change courses of stuff. But yeah, Wintrow's kind of in the pivotal position. And Wintrow has the more direct way about bringing the dragons back, I think, of the two of them. But Althea is pivotal too. I don't know. It's just hard. Amber says... Please, I have been so certain that you were the one. Certain dreams have shaken that conviction from time to time, but when I saw you again on the street, surety leapt up in me once more. You are the one. You have to know. Think, the dragon and the serpent. She leaned forward on the table and fixed Althea with a pleading stare. Althea takes a breath and says, Okay, I'll try. Well, in the Barrens, there was an island and there was a rock formation called the dragon. And we saw a serpent on the way home. <laughs> and that's pretty much, I think, from what I remember, the only involvement she's had with dragons and serpents. Yeah. So she explains it a bit more to Amber, who is prying and wants all the details possible about this. Saying that it was a big rock formation that looks like a fallen dragon, and that's what the sailors say. And... One of the older hands spun a yarn that it was really a slain dragon that if I climbed up there, I'd find an arrow in its chest still. Did you? Althea grinned sheepishly. I was curious. I climbed up on its chest one night. Reller had told the truth. Its four legs were clutching at an arrow sticking out of its chest. Then it wasn't just an accidental formation of stone. It truly had four legs? Althea pursed her lips. 
Or maybe some sailors with a bit of time on their hands had enhanced it a bit. That was my opinion. Ruller's claim was that that arrow had been sprawled there for ages and ages. But the arrow shaft didn't look weathered or splintered. It was as nice a piece of wizard wood as I've ever seen. The only surprising thing to me was that no one had ever taken it. But sailors are a superstitious lot, and Wizardwood has a dangerous reputation. Amber sat as if transfixed. The serpent, Althea began, but... Hush! Amber ordered her. I need to think a moment. A Wizardwood arrow. Is that what all of this has been about? A Wizardwood arrow? Shot by whom? And when? Why? Althea had no answer to any of that. Before I move on, because she just kind of briefly recounts the encounter with the serpent. Mm -hmm. This is an important section of the book because this is what makes Amber and later Lord Golden give a Wizardwood arrow to Swift, I believe, Burek's son, and kills the stone dragon that is on Eslevjal. This is where Beloved gets the inspiration to kill one of those stone creations or a dragon in general. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely an important moment, but it also gives us a little bit of insight. It does leave me with a lot more questions. Like Amber says, who, where, when, why? Right. Did this happen after the calamity? Did this happen by a rainwild trader? Whenever the last, the original? No, I guess they wouldn't have been around. No. My, I mean, my guess and probably I it's my guess so I think it's probably right <laughs> is that it's from Claris right during the calamity killed a lot of dragons and serpents they were trying to bring about the end of dragons and kill all of them and so they would kill any of the dragons that they could but was it a real dragon I think it's a stone dragon maybe quite possibly yeah so why would Claris kill a stone dragon that's flying around? Because they eventually lay down after there's not Was enough the blood. the Elderlings from fights with the Elderlings? Yeah. I don't know. It makes me wonder if it happened during, um, oh, what's the king's name? Wisdom's time. Yeah, King Wisdom's time. Because this is like it's something very, that the sailors know well, right? Yeah, but it's very far away from the six duchies. Very far. Yeah. Maybe it got lost and maybe somebody shot it down with a, I don't know. Maybe there's a fallen temple there. I don't know. Or like <laughs> not temple, but like city. One of the, city. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Hard to one know. of those mysteries that we'll never know. True. I'm sure. So Amber fixates on that and doesn't have the same interest in the serpent story as she did with the Wizardwood Arrow, but is still curious about it and asks questions and agrees with Brashen's assertion that it is not a mere predatory attack, but a thinking creature bound on vengeance. At last, even Amber's questions seemed to run out. The flames in the grate had burned low. Althea returned a from a trip to the back house to find Amber spilling the last of the brandy into two small glasses. Carved wooden holders, obviously the work of Amber's hands, twined ivy leaves around the glasses. Let us drink, Amber proposed, to all that is right with the world, to friendship and good brandy. Althea lifted her glass, but could not think of anything to add to the toast. The vivacia, Amber suggested. 
I wish her well, but until her decks are under my feet again, she is tangled with all that is most wrong in my world. To Grag Tanira? Amber proposed facetiously. That is also too complicated. Amber grinned broadly. To Brash and Trell! Althea groaned and shook her head, but Amber raised her glass anyway. Here's to irresponsible men who give in to their passions. She drained off her brandy, so women can claim it was none of their doing. This last she uttered just as Althea had, had given in and was tossing her brandy down. She choked and sputtered. Amber, that's not fair. He took advantage of me. Did he? I told you, Althea replied stubbornly. Actually, she had told Amber very little, other than to admit with a shrug that it had happened. At the time, Amber had let it pass with but a raised eyebrow. Now she met Althea's glare with a steady gaze and a small, knowing smile. Althea took a breath. I had been drinking and drugged beer at that, and I'd taken a good blow to the head. Then he gave me some of his sindon, and I was cold and wet and exhausted. All of that was true of Brashen as well. I'm not finding fault, Althea. I don't think either of you needs to make excuses for what happened. I think you shared what you each needed most. Warmth, friendship, release, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement? Ah, so you agree to the first three without question. Althea didn't answer the question. Talking to you is a balancing act, she complained. Then, acknowledgement of what? She demanded. Of who you are. What you are. Amber's voice was soft, almost gentle. So you think I'm a slut, too? The effort at putting humor in her voice fell flat. Amber considered her for a moment. I think you know what you are. You don't need my opinion. All you have to do is look at your daydreams. Have you ever fancied yourself settled down, a wife and mother? Ever wondered what it will be like to carry a babe within you? Do you dream of taking care of your wee ones while awaiting your husband's return from sea? Only in my worst nightmares, Althea heard herself admit with a laugh. So, if you never truly expect yourself to be a settled wife, do you expect that you will live all your life knowing nothing of men? I hadn't given much thought to it. Amber says there's a part of you that thinks of little else did you but care to admit it. You simply don't want to accept the responsibility for it. You'd like to pretend it was just something that happens to you, something a man tricked you into doing. Come on, the tide is coming up. I want you to meet somebody. Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting passage. I want to say nice, but I don't know if I fully think it's nice. I don't know. It's nice in that it gives Althea what she needs. Somebody, especially like a female presence, telling her that it's fine for her to think about sex. It's fine for her to have sex. And why does it matter what other people think if you are doing what's best for you? It's your life. Like, I think that's really important. And I like that message. (laughs) I think it's such a weird. I don't know. It's something that. Amber is doing that Althea was grateful for Ophelia doing before. Yes. Calling you out, having a mature friend that mm-hmm. is there to support you, but also can call you out when you're being obstinate about things. And yes, it is very confrontational in the way that Amber does it, mm-hmm. but it is something that Althea needs to hear. She's, 
so attached to that label, to anything intimate like that, and has so much baggage that comes with it, Mm -hmm. that having someone like Amber point out that it's not just something done to you. You can make these decisions yourself, and that's totally fine, is something she does need to hear, like you said. Yeah. And that's important for her to grow later, but... (laughs) Right. Althea... I don't know if she's in the best place to accept that. Right. And yeah, I think giving Althea her agency back is really good. And like letting her know that she does have control over her own agency and there's nothing inherently wrong. It's not a man's thing to want sex. It's just a human thing and you're just human and that's fine. I don't know, but it is also hard. I feel like I might be reading a little too much into this or like, reading it a little weird because of how weird the fool was about Fitz sleeping with um, Starling. Starling. Yeah. Where like, I don't know. And I guess like fool was also young when that happened, younger when that happened. And it was a different circumstance. There's like a lot different, but I feel like I didn't love how fool reacted to Starling sleeping with Fitz. Yeah. I don't, I don't trust the fool's opinion or beloved's opinion about fits with anybody else. Yeah. Like that. I just fair. don't, it, but I think <laughs> it's too colored. Yeah. But I think part of that though, knowing that this is beloved, knowing mm-hmm. how beloved reacted to a different woman doing the same thing. It is like coloring how I read this experience, which yeah. should just be nice. But like, beloved doesn't necessarily have a nice track record and people change there's growth that happens for sure it's fine i'm sure they've matured more but it's i don't there's just a little something weird about it although i do i do like i i like and dislike when althea is like so you think i'm a slut too there's no backtracking there's no like oh i'm so sorry that's not what i meant or like care given there but like, I don't love that there's no care given there at the same time. I don't know. I'm really picky. It's whatever. And and it's nitpicky, but I don't know. I just like something about it reads a little off, but only because of the context I'm bringing in from beloveds. Yeah. Like, I don't think the first time I read this through, I read this poorly in any sense or like thought it was weird. The fool didn't really like slut shame Starling or anything. Just said, be careful around Starling. Cause I don't think they just didn't like each other. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's partial, partially because of jealousy around Fitz and also because Starling was so pushy about who the fool was. Right. And like, and their privacy. And that's a huge thing for them. So yeah, they're it's a little bit colored. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely different. But like I said, I do think it was an important conversation to have. I don't love that Althea's character is trying to make this like a well, I was taken advantage of because I regret it sort of thing because I think that's a trope that's overplayed and I don't love giving that credence. I guess, or like, and I mean, I'm sure it happens in real world where people feel that way, but like, 
I think there's a different conversation happening of like, I feel guilty for enjoying that that could have been explored. And I don't love that instead it was like Althea decided that she's going to frame it to everybody else that she was taken advantage of. Well, she didn't frame it to everybody else. Remember, she didn't even I mean, say not, anything about it to Amber. <laughs> right. But like, well, she did just say something about it to well, Amber. Just now yeah. when Amber pried into it. Right. But the right. first time she was recounting it, she didn't. I, I think it's a de- defense mechanism. I Yeah, yeah. I, I agree that it's not like the proper route to take for her. And I know you're coming at it more from like a meta commentary of how it's written often like that. Right. In different mediums. Um but in the story specifically, I think she is feeling guilty for enjoying it and is scared about the agency that Amber is offering her. Yeah. Right. If it was her choice to enjoy it, she made the choice to do it. And therefore, that's a scary thing. Like, why would I like Brashen? Right. He's a rogue and I shouldn't like him at all. And she has spent the better part of six months convincing herself that she needs to forget him. Right. <laughs> so it's a scary thing for her and the guilt has built up and I don't know. It, it's just, it's a delicate point in Althea's psyche and her memories that needed to be brought up, but also Althea doesn't react to it internally well either. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. It's very I- uncomfortable with the situation. Yeah. Um, to lighten it up before we move on and go a different route, I just wanted to know if you felt here's to irresponsible men who give in to their passions was a jab at Fitz or not. I think so, yes. Okay. That's what I thought. Like whenever I, I underlined that, I'm like, Fitz question mark. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that was something that Beloved or the Fool had the biggest gripe about Fitz with and continues to have the biggest gripe about Fitz with is that Fitz literally chose letting his passions control him over the safety of people and the universe at large, (laughs) which again, like Fitz was also a teen when that happened. So like, that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. And obviously he doesn't have the like fully functioning brain to make And they were the right choices according to the fool's path, you know? Right. So like, it's fine. It's just, it's just funny. (laughs) So I wanted to lighten it up a little by bringing it out of that, by being like, "Hmm, Fitz is mentioned here. So I guess at the end we can ask if Fitz is happy, but. (laughs) (laughs) So Amber wants to bring Althea down to the beach and talk to Paragon. A friend of hers, Amber says. And Althea's like, the ship? I know Paragon well. Amber smiles like, I know you do. I saw, I have some of your uh, items among Brashen's. You left signs of your stay aboard him. They were mixed in with Brashen's things. Like what? Althea demanded suspiciously. A little hair comb I had seen you wearing the first time I noticed you. It was perched, it was left perched on a window ledge as if you had stood there to fix your hair and then forgotten it. And then we get to the awkward conversation of the night. More awkward, in fact, for Althea. And Amber's like, well, I'm staying there and I'm trying to buy him. (laughs) Yeah. So there is the curiosity from Althea's point of view of why do you know Paragon? Why are you going to visit Paragon? And that's when Amber reveals, I'm trying to buy Paragon, which is crazy, right? Like, 
especially for somebody coming back after a year that hasn't seen or heard about these dealings. Right. And she doesn't know that Paragon is for sale by the Ludlucks right now. And that if Amber doesn't get him, then the new traders do. So it's hard because I get where Althea is coming from. But the fact that this is somebody that she's friends with and trusted enough to talk about her sex life with the second it comes to old trader business, the line is drawn. Right. There is, that's my business, not yours. Mm-hmm. So definitely something that is ingrained in society, even to Althea, who is apart from it. That I mean, yeah, yeah. live ships especially are very much part of her wheelhouse, though. Yeah. And she becomes outraged instantly, saying like the Ludlucks cannot sell their live ship no matter how he has disgraced himself. Is there a law against it then? Amber's voice was inquisitive, nothing nothing more. No, but there is tradition. And Amber says, most, many of Bingtown's most venerated traditions are giving way before the onslaught of the new traders. It is not publicly noised about, but anyone in Bingtown who cares about such things knows that the Paragon is up for sale, and that bids from new traders are being considered. Althea is silent for a while and then says, if the Ludluck family is forced to sell Paragon, they will sell him to other old traders, not a newcomer like you. I wondered if you would point that out, Amber replied in the conversationally evened voice. She lifted the bar on the back door and opened it. Coming? I don't know. And Althea is remarking that the last few minutes of conversation has taken an uncomfortable turn. She thought that Amber was her friend, but it's just a little rocky at this point. Right. And I think what's interesting about this is Amber's even tone. Amber's not trying to start a fight. Amber's not trying to give anything away. Right. But because we've read, we are rereaders. We know it's the fool and we're doing the deep dive. It makes me think about how. When the fool did that in the last trilogy, that was usually because the fool is either kind of upset or like still trying to get things on track to where they wanted things to go. And so this feels very much like it reads as normal. I'm just trying to keep things normal because this is an awkward topic. But also, if you have that context to know that, like, Amber's kind of getting a little upset here. (laughs) Well, now Thea kind of gets a hint that Amber might have engineered this conversation, steered it this way, in fact, to get a read on Althea a bit. Was she trying to test their friendship, or was there some larger agenda behind her needling? She chose her words carefully. So that kind of, yes, she's asking herself those questions, but that kind of hints to the reader of, again, this is the fool, hint, hint. And Mm -hmm. if you pick that up, this is a hint to the reader that, yes, this is Amber trying to get a point across about certain things, bring up topics. I don't think you are less or not as good as I am simply because I am trader born and you are not. Some things are the sole province of the Bingtown traders and we guard those things jealously. Our live ships are very special. We feel the need to protect them. It would be hard to make an outsider understand all that our live ships are to us. It is always difficult to explain that which you don't understand yourself, Amber retorted quietly. Althea, this idea has to break through, not just to you, but to all of the Bingtown traders. To survive, you will have to change. You will have to decide what things are most important to you and preserve those things. 
You must accept the allies who share those values and not be so suspicious of them. Above all, you must relinquish your claims to things that don't belong to you. Things that don't belong even to the Rainwild traders, but are the rightful heritage of all. What do you know of the Rainwild traders? Althea demanded. She peered at Amber in the dimness of the alley. Precious little. Your close-mouthed Bingtown traditions have seen to that. I suspect they plunder the cities of the elderlings of their treasures and claim that ancient magic as their own. Bingtown and the Bingtown traders act as a shield to conceal a people unknown to the rest of the world. Those people delve deep into secrets they cannot grasp. They dismantle the hard-won knowledge of another folk and time and market it as amusing trinkets. I suspect they destroy as much as they pilfer. Come on. She's right. Yeah. This is something that we kind of talked about whenever we were talking about the city in Tree Hog when yeah, we were in Rain's mom's, Janie's Janie, perspective. yeah, when she's talking to Rain about it. Yeah, in the thing. And we were talking about why the lights weren't working as well anymore and how it has to be something to do with them taking the magic out, right? And here Amber is guessing the same thing as us. And so it kind of feels nice that maybe we're correct, but also really interesting to get that point of view of just because you found it doesn't mean it's yours to take. Right. And this is something that really stood out to me because I'm in the middle of taking classes about this exactly for museum and heritage studies. <laughs> and hey, by the way, do you want to go to the British Museum sometime or? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Don't check my pockets on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's really interesting, this idea that is gaining more popularity in the museum specter as a whole, that whenever you take things away from their place that they were found, you're destroying as much as you're preserving, and you take it out of its context, and there's things that you'll never learn again because you've done that. And so it's really interesting to see that in this book. Obviously, I don't think Robin Hobb is taking classes, took any classes on right. archaeology or museum studies or anything, but it is really funny to see <laughs> what I've been reading in textbooks mimicked here in this thought of why do you think you are inherently the owner of this just right. because you found it first? Why do you think that I'm the outsider in this situation and that you aren't also an outsider to this magic? And I think that's really important for Amber to bring up. And I think that's important for Althea and the Bingtown traders to think about that they don't really know how it works either. And it's not really getting through to Althea though. No, at this point it she isn't. remains quiet throughout that whole thing. Then Amber laughed. You see, you will not even tell me if my deductions are correct. Those things are Bingtown trader business. One doesn't discuss it with outsiders. Althea heard the coldness in her voice, but could not repent it. And they walked on in silence for a while, and she thinks, like, I was valuing this friendship with Amber, and I don't want it to end, but I don't know what I can do to salvage it at this point. Right, it's so interesting, because in Althea's mind, they can't be friends anymore. Because Amber's prying into this business 
she needs Secret to be cut things. off. Yeah, yeah, she needs to be cut out. There's no more friendship to be had. And because she won't give Amber the knowledge, obviously Amber's not going to want to be her friend anymore either. Because right. like, there's this weird sense of, oh, I finally found where I belong and I'm cutting that off because what's more important is keeping the secrets of this group that I belong in that I believe inherently is better than other people for no reason other than the fact that we are born into this family. Right. And not really dissecting why she feels that way or why like really thinking about why she would be deserving at all. And I don't know. I just really, I, I like how this is done because if you're a first time reader and you haven't picked out that Amber is a fool yet, it's really hard to tell what's going on. And if, is Amber going to drop her? Is this too big of an argument? Is this something that they won't be able to see behind or get behind, you know, get over and instead Amber keeps going. Mm -hmm. She's not ending this friendship. This wasn't the end. This is just things for her to think about later because clearly it's not getting through now. That doesn't mean it won't eventually and won't later when she thinks on this again. So she continues and talks about Jamalia and the satrap and implores Althea to understand this. And we get quite a bit about Satrap Cosgo's youth in this paragraph here. She says that Jamelia is corrupted. The Satrap will cede you to Chalcid or sell you to the new traitors without even a moment of consideration. He doesn't care, Althea. Not about his honor or his ancestors' pledge or the people of Bingtown. He doesn't even care about the citizens of Jamelia. He is so engrossed in himself, he cannot perceive anything except as it relates to the him. Amber shook her head, and Althea thought she sensed a deep sadness. He comes to power too young and unschooled. He had great promise and much talent. His father took joy in his potential, and he charmed his teachers. No one wished to daunt that inquisitive spirit. He was allowed complete freedom in his explorations. No discipline was imposed on him. For a time, it was like watching an extravagant blossom unfold. She paused as if remembering a better time. She went on with a sigh. But nothing thrives without limits. At first, the court was amused when he discovered the pleasures of the flesh and indulged in them. Characteristically, he set out to explore them all. Everyone supposed it was but a stage of his growth. It wasn't. It was the end of his growth. Mired in pleasure, lost in all but the titillation of his own senses, he became ever more self-centered. Ambitious people saw it as a path to the future satrap's favor. They began to supply his desire. The unscrupulous saw it as a pathway to power. They taught him exotic new pleasures, ones they alone could supply. When his father died abruptly and he was catapulted into power, the strings of the puppet were already fixed. Since then, they have only become more confining. So... We know that the fool was in Jamalia for a brief while on his way from Claris to the Six Duchies. Mm-hmm. Satrap Cosgo's father uh, is the one who took an interest in the White Prophet teachings right. and housed him for a while. So yes, the fool was there to witness young Satrap, young Cosgo at the time. Yeah, weird to grow think up. about. Yeah. And... He was a very intelligent child and very inquisitive and could have been a great ruler, but 
wasn't allowed any discipline and therefore stopped growing. And now the fool or Amber knows what will happen and knows what Satrap Cosgo is like. Right. And is trying to tell Althea, like, you cannot appeal to the Satrap Cosgo's senses and make him adhere to the previous treaty. You can't. You have to do something else. Right. Yeah, and this is also something that we see mirrored in Regal, right? Yeah. There's that double exposure of how this goes, that once somebody has been fully taken over by addiction and isn't actively trying to fight the addiction and is letting others control them to keep the addiction up, there isn't a lot that you can do for them to reach them, to get them to want to change things. And so it's a fool's hope (laughs) to think that if you go and you speak about honor to the satrap, he's going to respect that. He's going to come to his senses and be like, Oh, you're right. I've been silly. Let me just undo all that. No, it's, a new time is dawning and you either have to grow and change or you will be lost to time. And that are the, those are the options. There's nothing else. Yeah. Amber says that Bingtown must find its own allies and not just the newcomers who share Bingtown's ideals, but the slaves brought here against their will and any others who share Bingtown's enemies. The Rainwild traders must also step out from the shadows, not only to assert their rights, but also to take responsibility for what they do. Althea stops, turns to Amber and says, I need to go home to my family. All of what you say speaks to me, not only of Bingtown, but of my family's predicament. Amber releases her arm and says, if I have made you see that those two things are connected, I have not wasted my time this evening. Another time you will come to Baragon with me, and you will help me convince him that he must support my efforts to buy him. First, I will have to convince myself of that, Althea cautioned her. She took satisfaction in knowing that Paragon had had the good sense to resist Amber's efforts. As much as she liked her, there had to be a better buyer for the Paragon than she. Althea added that to her list of concerns. She would discuss it with Greg and his father when next she saw them. And Amber says goodbye, you know, saying, You will be convinced. Visit me when you can. Until then, be aware and consider all that troubles Bingtown. Notice all that seems wrong to you, even that which does not seem to involve you. You will reach the same conclusions I have. Althea nodded to her. She didn't speak. And she ends this passage saying what was best for, well, thinking what was best for her family would come first, which is a very similar sentiment that Kefria, or not Kefria, Ronica mimicked at the end of the chapter when Althea and Ronica were talking to each other. Right. Just my family comes first. Right. And I wanted to point that out because Althea told her mom that's not a good enough excuse. Right. Right. And then here she is saying, well, because it's a difference between we have to stand up for old traders rights to we have to give up their secrets. (laughs) Well, it's not even giving up the secrets, right? Like you can sell the ship to Amber and not give her any information about how it works or what to do. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a secret given away. People know the ships exist. Right. Just like the the metaphorical difference between the two, or not metaphorical, really, but the, 
the difference between the two is that one involves propping up the old town, the old Bingtown traders, and one is setting them in a different path. I would argue that one involves Althea directly and the other does not. Ah, interesting. Because what happens to the Ludlux doesn't isn't going to affect Althea one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, it'd be bad if the old traders get access to the Rainwild, but like what does she care ultimately? Like why would it matter to her? That's why she's like, "Oh, what happens to my family comes first. Like That's fair. That's why she cares about slavery and the Chalced ships and the harbor and paying those taxes because it directly affects her and her ship soon. But this doesn't affect her, so why would she think on that? Just like Rhonda can, can say, well, I'm not in charge of the ship. The slaves don't affect me. Right. You know, if it's profitable, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. So I don't know. It is like mother, like daughter. <laughs> Oh, all the families alike. Yes, but it is frustrating because it's like, you're so close to getting it. Oh my God, please just like move that other inch to get it all the way. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, we jump over into Malta's head where they are still waiting for Althea. Right. And Malta says, are we going to sit up all night? And she notes that her mother's pretty mild in responding, saying like, well, I am. And if you want to, you can as well. Or you can go to bed if you would like. I do want to ask, what day is this chapter taking place? And like, did she see her mom yesterday or is this supposed to be the same day? It's the same day, but it might be past midnight. So the next day, technically. Okay, well, that's not what I was asking, but thank you. You were. No, okay. (laughs) That technicality in this is not what I was asking. I'm asking, I was trying to ask... Is this the night of the day she's supposed to come home or is this yeah. the night of the day where <laughs> I'm trying to explain it's confusing. this. I know it may less than probably 10, 12 hours. Althea was at her house for the first time delivering a message to her mother. So that happened in the morning ish. Why were afternoon? they? Ha- okay. But that that's what I was, like. Why would they be having a big party with food? In the morning, I guess in the afternoon. It was probably afternoon. But Althea says, I'm going to be gone tonight, all night. Yeah, I'll and... be back before the morning, she says. Okay. Okay. So she is back before the morning. It's the middle of the night right now. That's why Malta's like, are we going to stay up all night? Asking, uh, like, when is basically, when is Althea coming? Because <laughs> this is boring. And Malta continues to her mother, not addressing Ronica, who is also in the room, but saying, I thought you told me that grandmother would start treating me more like an adult if I acted like one. She kept an eye on her grandmother as she said this and saw the small flicker of her eyes that said her barb had struck. It was time the old woman realized that she and her mother did talk together about such things. I think if you are both going to stay up and talk to Aunt Althea when she gets home, I should too. Like, girl, you're the one who said you want to go to bed. Right. I know. Nobody told you to go to bed. It wasn't like your grandma said you should go to bed now. You (laughs) said, are we waiting up all night? And your mom said, yeah, we are. If you want to go to bed, you can. And you're like, grandma isn't treating me like an adult. Uh, what? (laughs) From where? Where is this coming from? Pulling it out of thin air. It's Malta. She's a magician. 
<laughs> Drew, when it comes to ways to like hurt people on purpose maliciously, <laughs> she's like, let me just pull something out of the air that's going to be mean for no reason out of context. But also the fact that she thinks her barb landed because her grandma looked at her. Like, I'm sure the look her grandma gave her was a, are you kidding me right now? When have you acted like an adult? Not a, you're talking to your mom without me there? Oh my Crazy. Gosh. Like, girl, what do you think they do when you're not around? <laughs> <laughs> it's human nature. They know. Zamalta so sits back, very pleased with herself and very pleased after what a wonderful week it was. You know, she is tired, but she's thinking back about all of the things that she accomplished, how she was toying with rain the whole time and flirting with him and making bold comments and making him flush and then looking over to see Sir Wintrell being very angry at the party. <laughs> Right. She was so excited that she convinced everybody to let her friends come see. And it is exactly the way she hoped it would be. She was the center of attention. She directed a conversation with Rain to make a bold statement saying, well, he finished up a, a comment saying, I have promised my mother that this courtship will be proper. Did you? Do you? Tell me that to make me feel safe or just to discourage me from attempting any impropriety. She had let a tiny smile curl her mouth and lifted one brow. It was an expression often practiced in her mirror. A slight movement of the lace over his face told her she had scored. That quick little intake of breath said he was both shocked and delighted at her boldness. But even better, past his shoulder, she glimpsed the dark scowl on Sir Wintrell's face. She had given a throaty little trill of laughter, contriving that her whole attention seemed focused on Rain as she watched for Serwin's reaction. Serwin had snatched up a bottle of wine from a passing servant's tray and refilled his own glass. He was far too well-bred to slam the bottle down on the table at his elbow, but it had made an audible thud. Dello had leaned over to rebuke him, but he had brushed his sister's remark away. What had he thought then? That he had been too timid in his suit? That he had missed the, his opportunity to have such a rare creature as Malta Haven smile at him like that? Malta certainly hoped so. She thought of the, sh the simmering tension between the two men and a shiver ran over her. She was so glad she had been able to talk to her mother into the farewell party before Rain left. And she says that she had begged them to introduce her friends to Rain. And one and all, the girls had, eaten up, had been eaten up with jealousy to see her pampered so. So she got her wish. She had a bunch of small trinkets, as she said, that are like gorgeous jewelry, obviously, right. <laughs> from a very rich family showing off to her, her friends. Trying to act like, oh, this is nothing, which is even funnier because it's not like her friends don't know she's poor. Right. You know what I, I mean? Know. Like, it's not like they can't see coming up the garden that everything is being. Yeah, but they're all girls, too. And they yeah. all do the same thing, I think. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Which it's isn't just, fair, but, like, that's it, how she portrays her friends. Yeah, but, like, you'd think with the, as catty as they all seem, one of them would make some comment to ruin it. Be right. Like, mm, well, he's a warty dude, so have fun. Who cares? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, such a weird thing where, like, they're all actually jealous, but not a single one of them is jealous enough to be the Malta of the group. Like there's only one Malta in that group. Okay. She sure. is singular. That's for sure. You know what? That's not true because I have been a teenage girl and a preteen girl and there are lots of Maltas out there. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that there is only one Malta in this group is pretty surprising. 
<laughs> she goes through a description of all of the trinkets that she has gotten, including a little bit of gray powder that directs her with a note to put it back in the dream box and they can share a dream again in a bit of time. Yeah, I do want to talk about this. So we know that Rain was specifically told Malta's a child, so don't give her shiny things to trick her into liking you. And because that's what we think you're going to do, the adults have decided you also being an adult who should understand. Do not give her gifts to sway her to like you more. We want her to like you for you and to prove that she is a child. So don't give her toys Try to figure out if you match at a personal level. And Rain said, yeah, sure. And then hid a bunch of stuff that was just a bunch of expensive toys in all the baskets that looked like fruit. But really, there were opals underneath the apples and a special scarf that was tied into a bow on one of them. That's actually the the size of a bedspread. Like... Gross. You literally were told we don't want you this because we think she's too childish to understand. And he was like, <laughs> I'll use that to my advantage. Gross. For for him, I don't think he was told that specifically, right? Yes, he was. Janie said they think she's a child. Yeah. That's framed from Janie's point of view, who also doesn't think Malta is too little. Right. right? So this is from from his point of view. He shared a dream with Malta already. And... In his eyes, because if Malta was any sort of logical, she would see that that was an intimate thing that they shared already. Right. <laughs> would be like, okay, yeah, we are like promising we do match well together. We're probably going to be wed or betrothed or whatever. And Janie's like, yeah, they, they maybe promise because they think she's a, a small girl. And he's like, no, she's a woman. She, you'll see or whatever. So he thinks it's already one and is trying to get around these in in a way that, yes, he's not trying to win Malta because he thinks he's already won her. But also, like, then why go against what her family is asking of you? It's not a big ask. Because he's a boy in love. Okay. And he's a rich boy in love. He's a man in love, first of all. Second of all. Mentally, he's kind of a boy. I don't know. He's lost in his own in his own sauce there. It just like makes me so mad. Cause I don't know. I I already said we're not talking about how icky it is anymore. We've done it. We know. We all know. We're all on the same page. It's not great. It's frustrating that he cannot even follow basic rules and it is kind of working (laughs) and like you have to think that he knows on some level that he's not going to be able to get Malta to pick him unless he has cool things to give her because like why wouldn't you want to prove that she loves you for who you are not just what you can bring her and tell everybody, see, she is a woman and she can appreciate who I am not just what I have and instead you're like yeah, she is a woman who likes me for me. So I'm rewarding that with giving her a bunch of little trinkets that I was told not to do and giving her a bunch of riches. What's so wrong with that? Like, because that is weird behavior. <laughs> just weird. And clearly he doesn't, he knows on some level she doesn't like him. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, in what world? Uh, you know, I don't know. I just don't like the match anyway. I, in, at this point in time, it's icky. So I'm being overly critical, I'm sure. So she gets a bunch of those little trinkets snuck in with the 
innocuous gifts of fruit and flowers. And she gets a little dream box powder. And then when Dello asks her what the dream box does, she had turned aside and managed to blush. It would not be proper to speak of them, she had whispered breathily. No sooner had they returned to the festivities than Dello excused herself. A short time later, Malta saw in her excited conversation with Kitten. The gossip had spread swiftly as a rising tide after that. Malta had seen it engulf Sirwin. She had refused to meet his eyes today, save for one glance. He had not hesitated to let her see the heartbreak in his gaze. She had sent him a stricken look of appeal. After that, she had feigned ignoring him. Enwrapped in Rain's conversation, she had left it to her mother to make her farewells to the departing guests. It was so delicious to wonder what Sirwin would do next. Why does this work? <laughs> like, first of all, why does Sirwin suddenly have this, like, huge crush on Malta? You know, I mean, like, he saw her dressed as a woman at the Trader's Ball or whatever. But, like, is she that pretty? Not that I'm saying that she isn't or whatever, but she clearly doesn't have the personality <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we talked about this already. She can make the personality out of thin air when That's she wants to. Fair. And maybe, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or outside of the podcast, but I guess technically, like, there was conversations being had where she was meeting up secretly with him before she was not allowed to leave the house because she was caught meeting Sir Wintrell and his sister yeah. out on in the town. So like they just happen to run into into each other at the market the and time. things like that. Yeah. yeah. So like maybe something happened then and that's why he now has like this huge crush on her and can't believe that she's almost betrothed to somebody else. But I mean, it's we like, see it from Brashen's point of view later on when Malta's trying to seduce him or at least lay the wiles on him a little bit. And she is yes, young, and he's like, This is really weird, but She's also very effective at, like, raising the blood pressure of guys around her. Mm. So she's studied. <laughs> yeah. Studied and what? practiced. Like, like, she's not even allowed to go out in public. How is she? Maybe people are naturally good. She's allowed to go out in public. Well, no, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> she's not, like, she's, kept in the she's house. She's been a child up until this point and has not really been allowed around like there's not been parties she's been going to that we know of because of her grandfather's illness. Right. Like sometimes she gets to go hang out with her friends, but like her family's not throwing parties. And even if she just recently, like within the last like year or two, when her grandfather was super sick is starting to be like more interested in boys. I just don't understand where she's getting the knowledge of how to flirt. And again, maybe some people are naturally flirting one oh one. Like she reads a lot. No, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she's just really manipulative and that's part of it. I don't know. I see a hot person near me and I like clam up. I don't, I've never been good at flirting. I don't know how I got you. Like it's, <laughs> it's not my strong suit. So like this 13 year old being a, such a savant that she has every man, boy, child eating out of her hand <laughs> within I don't know, a few months is crazy to me, but I don't know. Maybe it is realistic. <laughs> it's wild. So she's thinking on that past week, and then all of a sudden there is a noise of a door being opened. And Ronica's like, oh, I left it open for her, left it unlatched, so they know Althea is coming in. They're getting to their feet, and before they could move, a man entered the room. Kefria gave a gasp and stepped back in horror. I'm home, Althea announced. 
She took off the ragged coat she was wearing and smiled at them all. Her hair was disgusting, bound flat to her, to her head, and then swinging behind her in a boy's plait. The skin of her face was red and wind-chapped. She strode into the room and held her hands out to the fire as if she were perfectly at home here. She smelled of tar, oakum, and beer. "'God of fishes!' Kefria said, startling them all with the coarseness of the oath. She shook her head as she stared in dismay at her, at her sister. "'Athea, how can you do this to us? How could you do this to yourself? Have you no pride, no care at all for your family name?' She sat down heavily in her chair. First, who's the god of fishes? L. So they do know about. They probably know about him, and that's then, maybe that's why the um, the swear words are so coarse and rough, you know. Sailor or, town. Yeah, or maybe it's just something that sailors say, and they don't really know where it comes from. I don't know. It's just a thought that I had because, like, Saw is, from what we know, the only deity. It doesn't. See, L seem... is just another face of Saw. Well, you know? yeah, but. <laughs> I don't know. Just weird. Like, I we've heard Saw's beard. <laughs> and we've heard... True. Like, I don't know, L's knees. I don't know. <laughs> knees. That's the L's knees. <laughs> I feel like there's another one that is either about L or Ida. Ida's... I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so this one's new, so I was just like, oh, this is a different god. But maybe it's just Saw slash L. Probably from sailors, because they're a sailing family, I would guess. Just a funny thing, especially because religion is kind of an important topic in this book. Um, But also, this is the exact response Althea was ready for whenever she met her mother earlier. And Mm -hmm. her mom, unfazed. (laughs) She saw her earlier already. But like, still kind of unfazed when she saw her earlier. It was just like, I can't believe you didn't tell me you were okay. Like... No mention of the outfit. Yeah. But here Kefria is, bewildered. Althea retorts, don't worry about it. No one who saw me recognized me. Looks around. You've you've moved father's desk, she accused them all. The light is better by the window, grandmother said mildly. The older I get, the harder it is to to see fine lettering. It takes me four or five efforts to thread a needle now. Althea started to speak, then stopped. Her features changed slightly. I'm sorry to hear that, she said sincerely. She shook her head. It must be hard to lose things you have always taken for granted. Malta was trying to watch them all at once. She saw her mother fold her lips tightly and guessed she was angered at how her complaint had been ignored. In contrast, Grandmother met Althea's eyes without anger, only a grave sadness. Malta ventured a move. You can't know that no one recognized you. All you know is that no one showed that they had recognized you. Perhaps they were too ashamed for you to react. For an instant, Althea looked shocked that Malta had spoken at all. She narrowed her eyes. I think you should remember your manners when you speak to your elders, Malta. When I was your age, I was not encouraged to speak out of turn when adults were conversing. It was like a spark to a well-laid tinder. Malta's mother surged to her feet and stepped between them. When you were Malta's age, as I recall clearly, you were a barefoot hoyden climbing around in the ship's rigging and conversing freely with all kinds of people, and sometimes doing more than conversing. Althea's face paled, making the smudges on it stand out more clearly. Malta smelled a secret there. Her mother knew something about Aunt Althea, something dirty. Secrets were power. This is so stupid, because, like, 
even if Althea was allowed to be barefoot on the ship, she had to wear a dress as soon as they got into port and right. still act like a lady. Yeah. So that's a dumb argument. Well, when you were Malta's age, you were on a ship. Like, okay, and still wasn't back talking your elders. Period. Like, <laughs> sit down, Kefria. You have nothing. Oh, it makes me so angry. Whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let Malta get to me. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Although you don't think Althea kind of had attitude when she got back from her ship. To her mom. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This isn't, (laughs) it's not the same situation. It's not the same situation. (laughs) Like, so, so Malta's looking for those secrets. She wants to get that power, that knowledge. Right. But also like, Kefria, take a chill pill. Kefria just is looking for reasons to hate Althea and be mad, right? Like, clearly. And I get it. A lot has happened. Left us alone here. Which, like, what was she supposed to do? You were literally like, um, your life, that, as you know it, is completely changed, and I stole it all from you and gave it to my husband, who you hate, and I'm going to make you live under my charity, and if you don't do what I say, I'm taking away the allowance. Like... Yeah, she left. Like, I just, I'm trying to be sympathetic to Kefria here. But at the same time, on what leg does Kefria have to stand? Because she's the villain here. She is in the wrong. She created this hostile situation and backed the hostile situation in which Althea fled from at the first place. And so for her to, like, sit here and be trying to pick a fight with Althea, trying to make Althea the bad guy, trying, like, not trying to be accepting and, like, at least my sister's alive, instead just nitpicking every little thing. Yeah. It's like, what ground does she have to stand Mm -hmm. on? I don't... Obviously, it's stemming from a history of them not getting along, right? I get it. But also, on a more broader sense, like, Kefria is a woman and a mother and in her, what, mid-30s? Maybe early 40s somewhere in that age range and should be able to handle talking to Althea with a little bit more grace and calm especially because she's able to do that with her own daughter right I don't know and I get it it's different when it's your sibling and especially when there's dynamics there that are at play but like you took everything from her and you're giving her no sympathy it's a little bit weird I don't get it I don't get it Ronica of course stands up in between the two of them and says stop it I've not waited up all night to listen to you squabble. Sit down, all of you, and keep silent for a moment. I intend that you should listen to me. Now they return to their chairs. Her mother returned slowly to her chair, and her grandmother sat down with a sigh. As if to pique her sister, Althea sank down to sit on the hearthstones. She crossed her legs like a tailor, for a woman in trousers to sit like that struck Malta as obscene. She caught Malta staring at her and smiled back. Malta caught her mother's eye and gave a small shake of her head. Kefria gave a small sigh. Grandmother ignored it all. The haughtiness of Malta. Like, she knows anything at all or better. (laughs) Sure, okay. (laughs) Literally just talking about how she was manipulating two men at the same time for the fun of it. And is like, how obscene a woman sitting cross-legged with pants on. True. Disgusting. Okay, Malta. Probably showing her ankles. Probably. So Ronica is saying, like, instead of criticizing each other, we need to band together. This is all about family, right? And Kefria jumps in saying, aren't you even going to ask her where she's been all this time and what she's been doing? We were worried to death about her. Now she comes dragging in, dirty and dressed like a man, and 
My niece is dressed like a woman and is evidently being used as a lure to attract Rainwild money. Why don't we talk about family pride and the morality of that first? Althea demanded tartly. Grandmother stood up and walked between them. I said it was my turn to speak. I'm trying to talk about what is most important first, before we bog down in bickering. We all have questions. Those questions will keep until we have determined if we can act as a family. If we cannot, then there is no point to asking the questions. If Althea had been here, as she should have been, she would know what we face. Kefria put in quietly, but I am sorry to interrupt. I will hear you out, mother. Okay, That's Monica what I was Jr. talking about. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about right there. Just like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll listen to you. But here's my last barb. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's so stupid. Kefria is trying to take the high ground. Like, you definitely see where Malta's related to Kefria in this because Malta, oh, yeah. because Kefria is like using every opportunity to put down Althea, trying to make Althea seem like this horrible person. And like, yeah, where was Althea? Why aren't you more worried about that and instead angry? Like, you're angry? Like, wouldn't you be worried? No. And I get it. Like, sometimes worry comes out as anger. But, like, just the whole, like, I'm going to be mean to her and then has no leg to stand on because her own daughter is, like, the worst person alive. Not not true. Not true. I'm just angry. Her own daughter is back there stirring up her own drama. And it's like, is she any better? Did you do any better as a parent? I don't think so. <laughs> So Ronica stands before them and mostly addresses Althea in this, just saying we have to band together and make decisions as a family and gives a little bit of a rundown again about what's happening with the Vestrits. Say that they've let go of all the servants, they've had to make many sacrifices and live simply, that a lot of Bingtown traders are feeling that hurt, that financial hurt, and have to make compromises Though few find themselves as straightened as we are, she says. In some ways, it makes our situation worse. Many of our creditors are pinched. Some who would have extended us understanding cannot afford to do so for the sake of their own families. Grandmother went on and on. It was too familiar a litany to Malta. She had to fight to keep her eyes open. The only interesting thing was watching Aunt Althea as it was explained to her. Guilt and shame flickered across her face from time to time. Odd. Grandmother was not telling her that part of this was her fault, that if she had stayed at home properly, she could have helped her family, but Althea still reacted as if the accusations had been spoken. When Grandmother spoke of how the Cooper's family had brought the note, bought the note on the Vivacia and told her that there was no gracious way for little Malta to refuse the courtship, Althea even shot her a look of sympathy. Malta looked properly martyred in response. So Malta's sitting here, looking at Althea react to this and being like, oh, that's so weird. She's not even blatantly accusing Althea, but Althea still feels bad. Oh my gosh. It's like Malta doesn't even know anything of empathy or sympathy or any kind of, I don't know. But even outside that, if this was Malta in Althea's position, she would be thinking she's accusing me of being at fault for all of this. Like Malta would absolutely be thinking it was her fault too in this situation. And so the fact that she can't put that together, she's like, it's not that big of a deal. Why does she care? It's so strange to me. And also bother. It bothers me that the truth is not told to Althea about how Malta and rain got together. That is a weird thing to keep from Althea. There's no reason not to tell the truth in this moment. And instead... Uh, It's not explained that they skip over it. So it says that 
when grandmother spoke of how the Cooper's family had bought the note on the Vivacia and told her that there was no gracious way for little Malta to refuse the courtship. So that says that they explained the courtship to begin with, and then buying that note makes there's no way to refuse the courtship, right? So I feel like somehow it has to be explained in there. I don't think it is. The fact that there's any sympathy coming from Althea to Malta after being told Malta was specifically told not to look at a dream box and did it anyway. And therefore, which Althea would know what a dream box is and what that meant. And then I don't think she would. Kefria uh, didn't know. Her mom knew. Her mom and knew, she, yeah, but Kefria didn't. So yeah. I assume that's something that's just like not very much seen. She would know it's Rainwild stuff and probably expensive. Right. But I don't think she would know what it actually is. I would expect her to know a little bit more because she was trading and her father would have could have talked to her about. Well, I guess they don't trade in Rainwild stuff. I don't know. Okay, but even so, they could have explained like sharing dreams. A dream box makes you share dreams, which is a common courtship thing for Rainwild people. And like after Malta did that against our warnings and did it secretly, and they don't believe us that she's not a child anymore sort of deal. Like, Well, uh, the way that everything's being explained here, I feel like they did explain the situations, but left out a lot of the accusations because Ronica doesn't want anybody to fight and bicker. And even though she's not very familial <laughs> in any, or maternal in any sense of the word and doesn't like Malta that much, I feel like in recounting the situations of how they got to this point, she wouldn't lay blame or blame everything on Malta, right? So I feel like the situation was explained, but probably like Malta caught Rain's eye and then whatever. Right, which would be leaving out portions. You just want Malta to be blamed for everything. No, like I just don't see how there could be sympathy if it's explained that she did something she was not supposed to do by accepting the courtship herself and then they bought the... Like, you don't think Althea could find sympathy for her being in an almost arranged and forced courtship? I feel like she could. It was a easily. choice Malta made. Kind and of. And I get that she's a child. Like, again, we're not going down that route. She yeah. is a child. She didn't understand. I still think she could find sympathy for her because that is an untenable position, especially if they bought the live ship's note, right? Like, the, the ownership of it. Because... It's a horrible move by the Cooper's family. They strong arm you into being courted. Like, hey, yeah, <laughs> this is it's just such a such a bad situation for someone to be in. Anyone, even if it was Althea, if it wasn't a child making the decision, if she did do something and shared a dream, be like, oh, yeah, now maybe I'll court this man. And then you find out that they hold your debt over your family and you're like, oh, well, I'm forced to court this man now. It's not even my decision anymore. I still think that there's some sympathy to be found in that. I I don't disagree on that point, but I think in the way it's to- provided, it feels as though the sympathy is coming from the fact that Ronica is making it seem like it was completely out of Malta's control. There's nothing they could have done. Okay. Like, and that's... Like, I don't like, yes, there is sympathy to be had. And it is really crappy that the Cooper's family did what they did. But like in explaining what happened, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just too close to the Malta situation. (laughs) No, I I think it's just two different ways of 
reading into what Ronica would be explaining, right? And what Althea is reacting to. Because your way is just looking at it more of like there there's not enough of there's not enough details for Althea to know that Malta instigated a lot of the situation. Right. And me it's being Althea's finding sympathy even with knowing that. And it's not really explained in the paragraph, so I think we both can be correct in our reading of it. It's just something that will never be known. Yeah, no. But I definitely, like, the way I read it, I guess, like you said, it can be read multiple ways. The way I read it is, like... It was skimmed over. Yeah, Ronica's, like, skimming over the bad stuff, which I feel like makes sense of what Ronica would do. Because, like you said, she's trying to, like, keep the peace. She doesn't want there to be fights. And she... But in doing that, it's not giving the whole picture to Althea and also like... Is it is that important right now, though, from Ronica's point of view, like in the situations now? I mean, I don't know how to answer this without being an <laughs> asshole. Sorry, a butthole. Like, See, I, I don't think it is important at this point. If you're I coming think... into the story right now, you need to know how they got to this point. But that context has already passed. I feel like... The immaturity of Malta is an important factor of this story that needs to be explained to Althea. And I get that maybe it can't be done in front of Malta because Malta's going to throw a little fit because she's a child and doesn't get it. But like. I think Althea knows too. Well, yeah. But like, does she? Like, maybe she's like, oh, wow, she's so mature for get like. Yeah. If she doesn't know how conniving Malta can be. And last time she saw Malta, Malta was just a child. You know, like she bought Malta a doll for the last time she was going to see her. Like she doesn't know who Malta is now that she's an adult. She doesn't know that she's a really good manipulator and she lies about everything at every chance. I feel like that is a really important thing to let Althea in on. And there are ways to do that without in front of Malta without being like Malta is a bad person and you need to like be on the lookout for that. Like there are ways adults talk. Yeah. You know, between the lines and. The reaction from... Does does Ronica know that Althea has matured enough to know that, though, and to pick up on those things? Because the last time that Ronica really saw her, she was throwing a tantrum about not getting her exact way when her father just died. So, like, th- there's layers to it, you yeah. know? I, I totally agree with you that there are ways to do that, and maybe that context is important for Althea to know. But, it, but at this point, I think I'm going to stick with Ronica's just trying to smooth everything and come in together because her goal in this passage and as she relates and says over and over is to come together as a family right right so i think that's kind of what she's going for and i think is trying to skip all of the bad stuff yeah and i guess like you said how important is it on the scheme and grand scheme i don't know it just feels like a weird like we're gonna tell you everything that happened while you're gone but actually, we're not going to tell you everything that yeah. happened. We're only going to tell you the important things and the things that we specifically think are important. You don't get any context. So. So Ronica is finishing up her explanation of how things have gotten as bad as they are right now. She's saying to Althea, I'm sure you've looked around the house and the grounds. And now you know why. They're not neglected, but they're sacrifices that we had to make. Now, Thea, this is what I ask you to do. Stay home, dress properly, behave sedately. If Kefria concurs, you might be helpful in managing some of the properties that demand a more active overseeing. Or if you feel you need more freedom, 
you could take over the little farm for my dowry. Ingleby is a quiet place, but cozy. It could benefit from someone taking an interest in it. You might find it satisfying to make a project of it and see what you could mother. That is not why I came home, Althea sounded almost sad. I don't want a toy or a project, nor do I wish to shame my family. I have come home to assist, but it will be in what I do best. Althea looked past grandmother and locked eyes with her sister. Kefria, you know the vivacia should have been mine. You have always known that. I come home to claim her, to rescue her from being abused as a slave ship and use her to create income for the family. Malta leapt to her feet. My father owns that ship. He will never allow you to take it from him. Althea caught her breath. Anger blazed in her eyes. For an instant, she clenched her jaws. Then she turned aside from Malta to address only Kefria. She spoke in an even voice. My sister, you own the ship. What becomes of it is solely up to you. Bingtown is not Chalced to steal a woman's wealth and give it to her husband. Moreover, you all heard Kyle Vow before saw that if I could but show him a ship's ticket saying I am a worthy sailor, he would give the ship to me. I have that ticket, stamped with the likeness of the live ship Ophelia. Both her master and her mate will speak out as to my worthiness to command. I have been near away nearly a year. In that time, this has been my only thought, not to shame my family, but to prove myself worthy of that which should have been mine without question. Althea's voice took on a note of appeal as she added, Kefria, don't you see? I have made it easy for you. Give me the ship. Kyle would be keeping his oath before Saw. You would be doing what you know is right. I give you my word, but I will commit to it to writing if you wish. The profits from every voyage will go back into your estate, save enough for me to refit and sail again. Malta felt sickened at her mother's expression. She was being swayed by Althea's words. But before she could intervene, Althea thwarted herself. How can this be hard for you, she demanded rhetorically. Kyle may object, but all you have to do is stand up to him. You should have stood up to him a long time ago. This is family business, vestrit business, Bingtown trader business. It has nothing to do with him. Kefria, of course, is taking exception to that, saying he is my husband. He is part of this family. He is not a pet nor a piece of furniture. He is a part of my family. He is a part of this family. For good or ill, that bond exists, Althea. I am sick at how he is dismissed by you and mother. He is my husband and the father of my children, and he truly believes he is doing what is right. If you cannot have any respect for him, could you not at least respect my feelings for him? As he has respected mine, Althea asked sarcastically. And Ronica once again has to step in. Right. It's... So hard. So, like, Althea is doing such a good job of yeah. being really even, saying, you know, like, I'm just proving I had to go away to take Kyle up on his offer. That's all I'm doing. That's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're being good to saw. You're doing the right thing. And I'm guaranteeing that you get all the money. So there is no worry there that I am not responsible enough or I'm going to just flee with the ship like we're still a united front we're still a family and then she loses patience and then she loses patience because kefria isn't saying anything and is immediately like kyle's the worst <laughs> like <laughs> he's not family which like it is really weird that they're not letting kyle 
B family, quote unquote. Like it is, yeah. Why hasn't he been brought into all the like secrets or whatever of what being a live ship trader family means? Like even before now, why did yeah, they've Efren... been married at least fifteen years? Yeah. And why did Efren keep him out? Well, because Efren wanted Althea to captain, remember, sure. or Brashen to captain. Excuse me, with Althea's yeah. mate. But like. Still. <laughs> right. It's so weird to me. Like, he is family. Like, that... Kefri has a point there. He is the father of her children, multiple yes. children. Yes. And has been in the family for a really long time. And even if he's a, a crap person, he is family. And you have to accept that. And that's something that we talked about last episode, where he has not been set up properly. Yeah. Like he like he's set up to fail. Yeah. He just isn't going to do well. He and doesn't have the support. <laughs> no. And I get that, like, he isn't a good person. And, of course, they don't want to support him. But, like, to pretend he's not family is is going a step too far. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It isn't great. And I do feel bad because, like, Althea really steps in it there. <laughs> she but also, I mean, she does have a point whenever she retorts with like, oh, like he respects my feelings. But like, does Kefria know that her husband is hitting her sister and calling her names and belittling her and being an awful human being overall to her? Like, does she know that happened? No. So it's not really fair of Althea to be like, I can't believe you're taking Kyle's side when she doesn't even know what Kyle's side is. <laughs> I don't know. Veronica, of course, is trying to be the peacemaker and saying, this is what I fear. We have to set aside our differences to be able to save our family. And Malta is sitting there trying to stop herself from leaping up and saying that Althea should just leave. What was she anyway? A husbandless, childless woman, a dead branch on this family's tree. She had no interest in the family's fortune, save what riches it could bring her. Malta and Selden were the ones most sharply affected by the mess her grandparents' mismanagement has caused. It seems so logical to her. Why could they not see it? Her father was the only strong man that remained to them. His children would profit most or suffer greatest from how that fortune was handled. He should be the one to make all the decisions. Oh, if only he were here. So yeah, she is very misguided in what has happened with her fortune. She doesn't still doesn't grasp that outside forces have affected their fortunes. And it it's not just Ronica's and Efren's mismanagement of their family that has led them into this. And it's her father that's going to dig them out. It's the politics that she cares so little yeah, for. Exactly. It's the slaves that her father is trading in. It's, and an unfortunate depth. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. It's so weird. This whole thing is so strange to me because Althea, like we said, she's what, 19 Something so, like that, yeah, 18, yeah, 19. 18 or like 19. So there's like a, not that big of a difference between her and Malta. And Malta at the beginning of the first book was talking about how she's not going to be some cow selled off to be married the second that she becomes uh, of age and yeah, a woman. She wants to have fun she's first. Gonna, yeah, she's going to travel the world. She's going to have fun and be single. She's not getting married right away. And yet... Here's her Aunt Althea doing exactly what she said she wanted to do. And she's like, who is this girl to have any say in anything? She doesn't even have kids. Why should I care what this old lady thinks? Is that not what you want? That's exactly what you said you wanted to do. And so then to like be like, oh, because Althea's doing it, it's bad and wrong and she doesn't matter at all. And on top of that, to be like, 
Aunt Althea just wants the riches that our family would give her. Right. When like is not what happened. Althea just said she wasn't going to take any profit besides what was needed to refit the ship to go sailing again to get more money for her. So like covered that she's not getting anything. And so it's like really weird that she's like, she only cares about the riches when it's like Malta, you only care about riches. Right. You, I just don't get it. It's so weird. And then being Projection. like, yeah. And then like my father's the only one who can help. We've already talked about how like, where that comes from and how he's a superhero because he's the parent that's gone, whatever. Like I get it from that point of view, but in this context, in this conversation, why doesn't she think Althea can do it? Because Althea is a woman. Is that all it is? Because she, and I guess we've kind of talked about that too, but just, I don't know. It's just a weird thought process we're seeing from Malta where she's like, my dad's the greatest and my Aunt Althea's dumb and doesn't matter. And I'm the one most affected, which like you're about to be married, babe. Selden's the one most affected. So maybe we should ask him his opinion. It doesn't make sense. Also, if Althea's not married, she's also affected by the family fortunes. So Selden and Althea can be the ones that decide what happened by her logic. It just I don't get it. So she wishes Kyle were there to take over and strong arm all of these power hungry women. She is going to be the eyes and ears for him, and when he came back, he would know all. She would not let him walk about vulnerable to the treachery of them. The power hungry women? Yeah. She doesn't think she's a power hungry woman? Right. There's nothing wrong with being a power hungry woman, I'll say that, but like, she's making this this derogatory thing, and it's like, girl, what do you think you are after? What do you think you are? Okay. Veronica stands up standing between the two daughters. Slowly, silently, she extended a hand to each of them. Neither daughter was eager, each reluctantly took her hand. This is what I ask of you, she said quietly. For now, let our quarrels remain within our walls. Outwardly, let us act as one. Althea, Caffria, no action can be taken as regards the Vivacia until she returns to port. Let us, until then, do what we have not done for years. Let us live as a family in one house, putting all our efforts to our mutual good. You are not so different from one another as you believe. I think that once you have seen what your united strength can do, you will have no wish to oppose each other. You have taken opposite positions, but there are many possible compromises. Once you have come to know one another again, you may be more open to them. The power her grandmother exerted over her daughters was almost palpable. A silence filled the room. Malta could almost feel them struggle to refuse. Neither would look at each other or their mother. Nevertheless, as the silence lengthened, first Althea and then Kefria lifted her eyes to the other. Malta clenched her hands into fists as their eyes met and something passed between them. What was it? A memory of long-ago accord? An acknowledgement of duty to their family? Whatever it was, it bridged the gulf between them. There were no smiles, but the stubbornness faded from their mouths and eyes. Kefria lifted a traitorous hand toward her sister. Althea reached in surrender to take it. Grandmother heaved a vast sigh of relief. It closed the circle of family. No one save Malta marked that she was excluded from it. Coldness burned inside her as Ronica promised them. You will not be sorry you tried, I promise you that. Malta is 
trying to keep her own promises. Malta showed her bitter smile only to the dying fire. She had her own promises to keep. Okay, Malta, first of all, the only reason you're not part of this is because you have continuously excluded yourself from that. Right. Second of all... also, they're the only two who needed to be bridged. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, this is a different generational thing happening. You're fine to be outside of it. And if you wanted to be part of it, you could be part of it. You are actively... Like, she's the one sitting here being like, they're not part of my family and they're just strong, uh, strong power-hungry women that are trying to take over what my dad has and rightfully owns. I don't care. I hate them. And then being like, oh, they're not including me in their little family circle. That's not fair. You're not including them in your family circle, Malta. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a an interesting chapter because we get three different perspectives. Kefria, Malta, and Althea. And Two of them are from the antagonist side, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Kefria is on the Vestrid side, but also is she? I would say in this in this situation, Kefria is an antagonist because she is in the wrong. I don't know. Maybe that's not very objective, but that's my opinion. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're gonna, like, just going to stick with that. <laughs> she's in the wrong. She's the one yeah. who ruined her sister's life out of nowhere with no warning. Like, I don't know. Well, Ronica kind of did that, actually. Ronica also did that. But like, Ronica's trying to build bridges. Kefria is not. You know True. what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's why she is the, on the antagonist side in this specific moment to me personally. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us this week. If you have thoughts on this chapter, there's lots going on. So please let us know what you have uh, have opinions on and what you think. Email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us on any of our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, YouTube. Wherever. You can, yeah, wherever. But isfitshappy at all of those. Thank you so much for tuning in and can't wait to hear what you say. See you next week. So you just have a little short talk, I guess, hopefully (laughs) today. Um, Just one reader comment that we were going to talk about. And it comes from listener Melissa, who emailed us to talk about how slavery is handled by Hob in the books. Yeah, there's a uh, a kind of dynamic that Melissa comments on here that is really interesting that she points out. And I see it once she did point it out. It, It is kind of, it kind of ties into our discussion on how Bingtown traders view themselves as superior as well. Right. In a lot of ways. And it's how, even though they condemn slavery, with the slightest hardship that they experience, they resort to using that mm-hmm. because it will make their lives easier. Right. And specifically, Melissa talks about the Vestrit family and how hypocritical it is. They talk like Ronica talks about how she's so against slavery and slavery is bad and Vivacia is part of the family and she's a family member. And yet the second that there's hardship on them, well, Maybe it is okay that brand new baby Vivacia has to 
house slaves on board her at the detriment to her mental health because and she doesn't get a choice and she yeah she's treated no better than a slave and that she gets no choice and has to do this work for the family for free (laughs) and it doesn't really matter how much pain and suffering that's going to cause vivacia because the family needs it it's they're going to fail without this there's no other possible way so i guess it just has to happen and only really Althea has, a has any compunction against that. Yeah. yeah, but Althea also knows firsthand how live ships work with like emotion sharing and how sensitive yeah. they are. And everybody else is like, yeah, she's family, I guess. But whatever, we need the money. And then also talk about how it's only when Veronica has nothing that she goes back to her morals and goes back to thinking to standing up against what's wrong yeah. because there's nothing else to lose. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also bad. Yeah. Just like, pointing out the, the hypocritical parts of them and right? that's how it really springs up. And it is a good, you know, character moment, but it doesn't mean that any of them are good people. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think it was really good to highlight the hypocrisy of it all of we care about, you know, things we have morals and standards because we're good people, but those morals and standards can be bent if we're personally facing hardship and we don't want to be doing that anymore. Yeah. Melissa also kind of relates that to a problem in the real world right? with homelessness. People without homes are kind of looked down upon. And she says in here that there is an unspoken agreement in a sense that we should distance ourselves and ignore their plight because somehow maybe they deserve it? Or is it just better you than me? It's easy to be compassionate when you feel like you can afford to, but the closer the line gets between them and us, the faster we ignore and turn aside from basic humanity, lest we end up in the same boat. Which I think is very poignant to point out as well because it does relate directly to the book and the situation in there. Right. It is a, oh, those those poor buggers out there. Let's give them what we can. This is, we should outlaw this. It's bad. And then, mm, well, we if don't want to lose money. our house. Yeah. We don't want to lose, you know, all of this. So let's keep our same standard of living by exploiting this system. Right. And it goes back to some of the themes that we saw in this week's chapter with Althea having that strong sense of me versus you when it came to Amber and the live ships and just being like, yeah, I have morals and I think we're all the same, but not same enough to give you the same information or rights or resources (laughs) as me. And like your other, sorry, like it doesn't mean I think less of you, but you aren't, good enough (laughs) yeah it doesn't make me (laughs) think any less of you except i already did so you know (laughs) (laughs) i don't think less now i just always have it's fine (laughs) so yeah so i think that is really important to remember that like there is this overwhelming sense of the whole town being a bunch of hypocrites it's yeah and some of them will stick to their morals deeper than others but still as long as it's not at their own personal expense. We saw that even with Wintro too, as young as he is. Yeah. And as pious as he makes himself out to be. 
it's always a them or the slaves or these people. And like only recently he's starting to try to humanize them and right. be like, we're kind of in the same plate. But that's, again, because he sank as low as they did. Right. Yeah. Just the, that sense of it's only when there's nothing left to lose that the people are able to have compassion again, which is right. kind of sad. And you want better from these characters but unfortunately I mean, you want better from people in real life too yeah want better for myself but like yeah i don't know we all i think we all it's a human trait i yes, guess all into that trope sometimes yeah so yeah thank you melissa so much for bringing that to our attention i think it's a really important theme and a really important thing to put in everyone's minds um as we go forward and reading this and to remember that even though they're trying to be good, there is still that hypocrisy underlaying it. And really, they are only as good as their position allows. So thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. And thank you to everyone who writes in. We're looking forward to hearing from you guys next week. 